0: background, Keith uh, was enlisted in the Navy and spent 10 years mostly at Woodby Island working uh, as a crewman on EP3s, so his occasional visit to Pax River, so this is not his first time down here, but first time in a while and in this role. Uh, after some time, uh, Keith uh, felt a call to ministry and went to Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan, and after graduating there, went back to Woodby Island, served his congregation there for a year, and then felt a call into the chaplaincy. And joined the Navy Chaplaincy, and uh, is sponsored there through the Reformed Church in America. Uh, Keith then spent a couple of years in Yuma, Arizona, and about two and a half months ago, was assigned to Marine Corps Barracks in Washington. And so Keith is joining us here for that, as well as his wife Cassie, is here. Uh, Keith, welcome. Let's share God's word. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Good morning. As I told. Uh, All of the faithful uh, Christ followers in the first service, I wanted to thank your pastor and thank all of you for welcoming me here this morning to share with you in what I consider to be, and I know that you do as well, sacred responsibility of uh, sharing uh, the Lord's Word. Um, I was told by your pastor a few weeks ago that he likes to keep sermons between 30 and 35 minutes, and because I'm committed to honoring that, We need to get down to business, all right? So with your permission, I'd like to pray for us, jump right into our scripture, and then our sermon. Is that good? All right, let's pray together. Lord, as we dive into the rich waters of your word, may your spirit refresh our souls. And may that same spirit be our rule. May the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, be our only concern as we hear your word. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It's a passage that describes what happened to two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, immediately after they healed a crippled man in the name of Jesus. As we listen to the scripture, and then as we jump into our sermon, there are two things that I'd like for you to listen for. Two things. I'd like for you to listen for a lifestyle, and listen for a response. Lifestyle response. Don't worry, just like I told the first service, and I followed through. I'll let you know when we get there. First, listen closely to these words from Acts chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple And the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they, Peter and John, were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about five thousand. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who are of the high priestly family. And when they had set them, Peter and John, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, Which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Amen? That's Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22 in the English Standard Version, if you're interested. The gospel is offensive. It saves some, certainly, but to many it offends. Trevor was a Christian, late teens, early 20s maybe. In the winter of 2002, before I was a Christian, Trevor and I were working the day shift together in the avionics shop at a flying squadron stationed in Whidbey Island, Washington. Trevor was standing behind the supervisor's desk that was littered with coffee and tobacco products and wires and maintenance manuals. I was standing on the opposite side of the desk when a conversation broke out among the sailors, a conversation about religion. And Trevor, being a Christian, began to speak into this conversation by sharing the gospel, By speaking about Christ, I remember the room became silent still as Trevor spoke. He told us about grace. I was listening. About God's desire to be in a relationship with us, rebellious human beings, still listening. He told us about Christ coming and being crucified for our sin and being resurrected from death so that we might have hope in something other than ourselves. And when Trevor was done sharing the Gospel, the room erupted in opposition. And that's when I leaned across the counter. I looked right at Trevor and I said, shut up. Shut up, Trevor. We don't want your Jesus here. At that moment, the Gospel that Trevor was sharing was... Offensive to me. The Gospel certainly is the greatest news this world has ever known, but for me at that time, it was the worst thing I had ever heard. The Gospel, Christ, assaulted my sin, declared a holy war on everything I was outside of the grace of God, and it threatened to disrupt my sinful lifestyle, so I responded in a way that a lot of people respond when they feel threatened. I said, shut up, man. We don't want your Jesus here. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John heard those words too. If you remember a few minutes ago, I said, I told you prior to this passage in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John had just miraculously healed a man in the name of Jesus. A man who had been crippled for his entire life. So crippled, in fact, that people used to have to carry him to the temple gate and lay him in the dirt where he would spend his days reaching up to passerbyers, begging them for pennies. And after Peter and John healed this crippled individual, they turned to the people and they began speaking and teaching about Jesus. Speaking about Christ's death. Speaking about His resurrection. And it's this talk specifically about the resurrection that landed Peter and John in some serious hot water with the most powerful people in all of Israel. I mean, follow me down to verses 1 and verse 2 where the writer of Acts tells us that when the powerful Sadducees, the powerful priests, and the captain of the temple heard Peter and John speaking about Christ and his resurrection, they become greatly annoyed. So upset, in fact, that they literally manhandle John and Peter and violently throw them into prison. But that's not all. This resurrection talk upset these powerful people so badly that they had to call even more powerful people to help them deal with this problem. I mean, look at verses 5 and 6. That's where we see the rulers of the people come into town. The elders the really, really smart lawyers, the scribes, and then the high priest, Annas, and his entire powerful family. And these men would have formed, all of them would have formed, what's called the Sanhedrin. Have you heard that word before? I'm sure that you have. Sanhedrin, which was essentially the Supreme Court and the Senate of the entire nation of Israel. The Sanhedrin was comprised of powerful men, not to be trifled with, ever. The Sanhedrin had direct oversight over every aspect of people's lives. The legal system, politics, economics, religion, everything. And when it came to religion specifically, the Sanhedrin did not like anything new. You didn't need to be innovative. No creativity. No new religious practices. No new religious teachings. Especially some new teaching about the resurrection. Because if there's one thing we know about the Sanhedrin at this point in history, is that they not only taught the impossibility of the resurrection, but they became greatly annoyed and offended and threatened when other people started going around teaching about the resurrection. And that's why in verse 7, we see Peter and John get put on trial. I mean, just, just picture it for a minute. Peter and John bearing chains. Nobody's. Nobody. Pulled into a courtroom full of society's most powerful men. Men who don't have their best interests in mind. Men who probably operate under the guideline of guilty before proven innocent. Men who are literally seated in a semicircle around Peter and John, high on their platforms of prominence and prestige, ready to pronounce judgment on Peter and John for the healing they had performed and the speaking that they had been doing about Christ and His resurrection. You all tracking so far? And here's what I find to be very interesting about all of this. Am I moving too fast? Here's what I find to be most interesting, which brings us to the first thing I invited you to listen for. Again, I follow through. A lifestyle. Again, a lifestyle. You want to know why Peter and got, John got in so much trouble with these big shots? They weren't going out looking for trouble like a bunch of rebels or hoodlums, but Peter and John were doing exactly what Jesus Christ, their Lord, had called them to do. Peter, I'm sorry, Jesus had promised Peter and John and all of the disciples, including you and me, he promised in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Peter and John are just being good soldiers and following Jesus' final set of orders that he left them with in Matthew 28, when he said, go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And Peter and John took this call to be witnesses and this command to make disciples, not to be optional, but these words were literal, literal for their lives, which motivated them to go out into the world and speak about Christ and His resurrection. But that's not all. That's not all. When Peter and John go out and speak about Christ's resurrection, the original language in the New Testament tells us in verse 2 that they were speaking about Christ and His resurrection infinitively. Speaking infinitively. Or... To say it another way, they were always speaking, regularly speaking, consistently speaking. The language tells us that this, that they're speaking about Christ and His resurrection was not a one-shot deal, nor could it be limited to the time that they healed the crippled man, but this speaking about Christ and the healing power of His resurrection was a lifestyle for Peter and John. It was everything they were about. Their hearts and their minds had been so captivated by Christ. And their lives were so consumed by Christ and the grace and the mercy and the transformative healing and the reconciliation that they had received through Him. That they couldn't help but to go out into the world when Christ said, go, go, go. They couldn't help but to go out and consistently speak about Christ and his resurrection with others. You following the lifestyle? And this Christian lifestyle that Peter and John were living, this is what landed them in some hot water with the Sanhedrin. Why? Because they were the ones who were in charge of religion. They were the educated teachers. They were the ones who had always taught that resurrection was impossible. And if two low-ranking nobodies, like Peter and John, kept going around teaching people about the resurrection, and not only that, healing crippled people, all people, through the power of that same resurrection, then that was a direct assault, a frontal attack on the Sanhedrin's authority. And it threatened to bring them down from their platforms of prominence and prestige. And that's what prompted them to put Peter and John on trial and say to them the same thing that I said to Trevor in 2002. Verses 18 and 21. They say to Peter and John, and this is a loose paraphrase, Shut up. Stop living your Christian lifestyle. We don't want your Jesus here. And so, the question I have for all of you, Cornerstone, and the question that I'm asking myself, that I've been asking myself for the past week what kind of Christian lifestyle do we live? Like the disciples who have come before us throughout the ages, Christ has commanded all of us to speak about Him. We are His witnesses, remember? Witnesses speak. And if our hearts and our minds have been captivated by Christ, and if our crippled souls have received grace and mercy and redemptive transformative healing through that same Christ, shouldn't we go out Empowered by the same Holy Spirit that Peter and John were empowered by and speak about the resurrected healing power of Christ whenever the Holy Spirit creates an opportunity? In our Christian lifestyles, shouldn't we, and remember I'm talking to myself too, shouldn't we be broken records for the One who was broken on a cross for you and for me? In our Christian lifestyles, shouldn't we raise our voices for the One, for the Christ who was raised from the grave so that we might be healed and that we might have hope not only in this life, but as we eagerly look forward to the next. Amen? Thanks, Stu. What kind of lifestyle do we live friends as i told the first service i'm not your pastor i'm realizing now how cool it would be if i was but i'm not your pastor i've only known you for a few minutes but if your life is anything like mine you know people who are in desperate need of the healing power of jesus christ whose lives are eternally crippled by sin, who carry brokenness and a burden with them. These people that try so hard to work, to work, to work, to heal themselves instead of looking to the only One who can truly provide healing for them. We see it every single day. How often, if ever, do we share the healing power of Christ with them? And you can ask my wife, since I'm a big fan of answering my own questions. I'll be honest with you and tell you that sometimes I do, sometimes I don't share Christ. I think of my own father who left my mom for another woman when I was 12. I was sitting at the Dinner table flipping through 1987 tops baseball cards, and I saw him stand by the refrigerator and rip her heart out. Now, 20 some odd years later, my father's life is full of guilt. He is lonely, angry, bitter, hateful, and hopeless. If there's anyone I know that is crippled spiritually, It's my dad. And I, his son, a Christian, a pastor, don't say anything to him about how Christ can heal. Why? Am I afraid? Will he reject me? Maybe it's because I don't want him to rip my heart out and say the same thing to me that I said to Trevor. Son, shut up. I don't want your Jesus here. What kind of Christian lifestyle do we live? And it's helpful to remember that our Christian lifestyle doesn't just involve sharing Christ with individuals, as important as that is, but as a church cornerstone, we have to think bigger. As a body of believers, we have to think broader. Why? Because Christ has also called us to be lights. And we live in the midst of a dark, cold world where an overwhelming number of individuals, truly, but also institutions, entire people groups, social systems, and structures have been crippled by sin. Sin that makes it impossible for our world in general and our neat little American society to live the way that Christ has truly called us to live. Some of you, you're probably thinking, give me some examples. Do I need to? Pick up an old school newspaper, flip on the television, Hit that app on your smartphone, and you will see that sin has permeated and crippled nearly every aspect of our society, and people are panting. Few people are panting to be healed. The nations conspire, and the people plot in vain, as the psalmist would say. Do we speak about Christ with them as we are living our Christian lives? But beware, Christian. Beware. Because when our Christian lifestyle and the Christ we confess comes into contact with those individuals and systems and structures that are crippled by sin, two things are going to happen by the providence and sovereignty and eternal election and grace of God, there will be healing for some. But for many, like the Sanhedrin with Peter and John, they will take great offense to our Christian lifestyle. They will become greatly annoyed with the Christ that we profess this shouldn't be surprising to us. Why? Because the good news of the Gospel exposes the bad news of sin. The resurrected Christ declares a holy war on everything we are outside of the grace of God. And when that happens, we, if we are truly living our Christian lifestyles, both in small ways and in extreme cases, in big ways, we could end up on trial before the powers of this world, whoever the powers may be in our lives. Well, they will say to us in one way or another, silently, softly, or aggressively, shut up. Silence. We don't want your lifestyle or your Christ here. This is relevant, right? This is a question we all must ask ourselves because if you're paying attention to anything going on outside of these walls, Christians are being subjected to more and more trials every single day. And so what do we do when we are put on trial? Again, I fulfill my promise and tell you about the second thing I'd like for you to listen for. First was a lifestyle. Second was a response. How will we respond when we are put on trial for our Christian lifestyles and the Christ we confess? When our friends, our families our places of employment, even perhaps our Senate and Supreme Court demand that we be silent about our Savior. When our relationships, those reputations that we, put, we spent a lifetime building, our jobs, even, even our livelihoods, our liberty is put on the line for what we believe about Christ. How will we respond? Maybe we can respond just by being silent, by sort of just submitting to what a lot of the crippled culture would like us to do, by speaking no more of the healing power of Christ. That would be an easy way for us to avoid any problems, right? But wait, didn't our Lord tell us that, command us that we would be His witnesses? Okay, so that won't work. What about if we were to respond by fighting back? By passing judgment on those who order us to remain silent about our Savior. Just condemning their crippled souls to hell because they have rejected the only one, Jesus Christ, who can truly heal. This is what many professing Christians do. I've done it. With my mouth and with my heart. But isn't it the Apostle Paul that said, Christian, cornerstone, let no evil talk come from your mouth, but only what is useful for building up, so that those who hear your words might be given grace, and, like I did in the first service, if I can be so bold to add to the great Apostle Paul, so that those who hear our words might be healed. So there has to be another way that we respond when we are put on trial for our resurrected Christ. Maybe we could respond in confidence. Yes, in confidence. Now why does Keith say confidence? Well, dive back into verse 8, where you will see that when Peter is put on trial... One of Christ's greatest promises is fulfilled. Where Peter is consumed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to all His disciples in Luke chapter 12. The Holy Spirit that would fill us and remove any sort of despair or doubt from our hearts and give us words words of truth and grace and mercy and love to speak if and when We did get put on trial, both small trials and big trials. The Holy Spirit that empowered Peter and John in verse 13 to raise their voice for Christ in the midst of persecution and trial, to raise their voice with boldness, or to say it another way, to raise their voice with confidence. Confidence in Christ that not only belonged to Peter and John, but also belongs to every Christian, you and me, who professes that Jesus Christ is Lord and receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that will give us the confidence to not be afraid when we are dragged into courtrooms with cuffs on our hands for what we confess about our resurrected Lord the confidence that will compel you and compel me to stand courageously and graciously against our crippled culture and its sinful systems that demand us to remain silent about the healing power of our Savior and we will say, "Uh uh-uh. I cannot remain silent. Persecute me. Arrest me. Stone me. Take my head off my shoulders. I really don't want you to. But fire me if you must, because I cannot remain silent about my Savior. A confidence that allows us to raise our voices with the Apostle Peter in verse 19. A voice that knows the grace and the love and the transformative power and hope and healing that we have received through the life, death, and resurrection and continue to receive through Christ every single day. A voice that says, there is salvation and no one else. I cannot be silent. For there is no other name under heaven in the entire world given among men by which we, Me and you and everyone who is broken and crippled must be saved and healed. Amen? All right, amen. Friends, if we faithfully live a Christian lifestyle, if we live into Christ's call, There will be trial, and in the midst of that trial, may we respond through the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and confidence, knowing that we are not alone, a lifestyle and a response. Got it? All right. My job's almost done. A couple months after I told Trevor to shut up, you remember Trevor, right? A couple months after I told Trevor to shut up, by the sovereignty of God, and I believe through the humor of God, he and I deployed to Okinawa together. I would spend my days flying and my nights drinking myself silly and womanizing, acting a fool. Trevor stayed true to his Christian lifestyle and shared the healing power of Christ with me whenever he thought appropriate. He even teamed up with another dude named Dennis, who was an officer, and between the two of them, they invited me to church about eight times a week over a three-month period. (laughs) One Sunday morning, after I had stayed up the night before, dancing with the dark side of the Internet, crippling myself even further... For whatever reason, call it a prompting of the Spirit, I took Trevor and Dennis up on their offer, and I hopped in our little bongo van, drove on the wrong side of the road, and went to chapel. I sat in a very uncomfortable pew with thick, humid air. Trevor was seated on my right. Dennis was one seat over. The Air Force chaplain stood up and preached confidently about Christ. And in that moment, my crippled soul was convicted. after the service, after the chaplain sat down and gave the benediction later and said amen, Trevor and I followed the chaplain to his office like a bunch of four-year-old little kids. And as soon as he shut the door, I dove into a state of fearful, Christ-centered repentance. Trevor and the chaplain sat me down and put their hands on me and began to pray, pray for Christ to pray for grace. And in a moment, I tell you, a man who had been crippled since birth was healed. And when I opened my eyes, my eyes were which were once blind but now could see, I looked up and I saw Trevor looking at me. Smirking at me. Ready to teach me how to live a Christian lifestyle no matter what the cost so that other crippled people might know what it means to be healed through the grace and the mercy of Christ our Lord who reigns in heaven and on earth now and forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Christ, you have placed a call on our lives. May all these people at Cornerstone, and may I, may all of us continue to live into that call. A call of witnessing and faithfulness. Speaking about the power of your resurrection and the healing and the hope that it brings to crippled human beings. I ask, Lord, that your spirit would be with all of these people as they go from this place. And may they live for you in confidence and in full assurance of your spirit that is with them to help them speak in the midst of this cold and broken world, which Christ will one day redeem when he comes again. Amen. Please stand with us as we respond to God's word preached.